0: We are in part three of a little short series on the tabernacle called House of Prayer. There are only two chapters in the entire Bible about creation, but there are 42 chapters in the Bible about the tabernacle plan. And that is because the tabernacle demonstrates God's original pattern for relationship and it also foreshadows everything else that would come later in the word of God. Here's what God said. Uh, to Moses, he said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle, everyone say pattern, so that's what we're talking about, and the pattern of the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it, so everything in the, the tabernacle, this building that was given by God, God gave the instructions, the dimensions, the blueprints, he gave all of that to Moses and the children of Israel, Everything in this building is a picture. In fact, the tabernacle is a fourfold prophetic picture, and we've been making our way through this. It's a picture of salvation, and we talked about the salvation plan and how the tabernacle furniture is actually laid out in the shape of a cross. And the long part of the cross, if you start at the brazen altar and you go all the way through in a straight line to the Holy of Holies, you have three pieces of furniture that actually have something to do with God's plan of salvation. The brazen altar, that's where blood was offered and shed. The brazen lavers, where the priest immersed their hands to wash. And the Ark of the Covenant behind the veil was where the Shekinah presence of God dwelt. And so that pictures two things. In the life of Jesus, it pictures, of course, His death, burial, and resurrection. And for us, because we obey the gospel by applying that to our lives... In us, it represents repentance, water baptism in the name of Jesus, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, which is the glory of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then the horizontal beam of the cross actually is what we call the holy place, and there are three articles of furniture in there, and they don't have anything to do per se with your salvation, although everything relates to salvation. But they relate to your sanctification. They relate to how you live for God after you are saved. The golden candlestick, of course, the main element there is light. The altar of incense and the table of showbread that held the bread that the priests were allowed to eat. And uh, that bread was always on that table. And that pictures uh, Jesus, the light of the world. It pictures Jesus, our intercessor, uh, making intercession for us as incense would burn before the Lord and that Jesus was the bread of life. And then in our life, we're going to talk a little bit about this in a few minutes tonight. In our life, we are to be the light of the world. We're to be a witness, and we are to be intercessors as well. It's prayer in our lives. And then finally, that we have a relationship with the word of the Lord. Now, I want to move quickly into our subject matter uh, tonight. But one more time, uh, because not everybody's familiar with this Old Testament building with all this strange furniture and this uh, very particular layout, I want to just one more time take a look at just a video overview of the tabernacle for just a couple of minutes here. So if you'd turn your attention to the screen. take a bird's eye view of the tabernacle out in the desert, that's what you would have seen as Israel moved around. Now last week we studied how that tabernacle, that building, is actually a picture of Jesus. But tonight I'm so excited to teach this to you. The tabernacle is also a picture of you. Scholars have studied the tabernacle and all the layout, and they've compared the arrangement of the furniture in the tabernacle to the arrangement of the human body and its organs. There's several uh, scholars that have done that. Some of them get really, really detailed. I did run across this. They compare the tabernacle to the actual structure of the cells in the human body. And it's so detailed and so intricate that it's kind of above my pay grade. So maybe another series that's about 10 weeks instead of four, and we could do that. Even in giving Moses the dimensions of this building... God used measurements of length that related to the human body. He used the hand breadth. That was one dimension. He used the span from here to here. That's another dimension. And he used the cubit, which was from the tip of the longest finger down to the elbow. And those were the dimensions of length used in the tabernacle. All to illustrate that the tabernacle is a picture of you and me. In the New Testament, you know this. Believers are called a tabernacle, and they're also called the temple, which was the later permanent structure with the same floor plan as the tabernacle. Let's take a quick look at some of those beautiful scriptures. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, if we lose our life, if we lose our body, if we lose our earthly existence... He said, we have a building of God. It is a house not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. So we have a tabernacle down here, our human body. But God has prepared us a new body, another tabernacle in the heavens. And Paul said, for this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. So Paul said, I'm groaning, I'm longing for that day when I'll have my new body. Peter said this, he said, yea, I think it meet, I think it's necessary and beneficial. As long as I am in this tabernacle, as long as I'm here, as long as I'm living and breathing and talking and preaching, I'm gonna stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Peter had some kind of uh, premonition given by God about his impending death. He said, knowing that shortly... I must put off this, my tabernacle. I will lose my life. And he did. Even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Peter said, I'm going to someday put off this tabernacle, this body. I'll I'll go the way of all flesh and I will die. And for Peter, that was a martyrdom. But Peter said, while I'm in this tabernacle, I'm going to do the will of God. As long as I've got breath in this tabernacle, I'm going to worship him. As long as I've got breath in this tabernacle, I'm going to preach and share the gospel and be a witness. I'm going to do that. And then when I go to that tabernacle, I'll be happy about that too. Paul said this to the Corinthians. And now the image shifts only slightly because the tabernacle plan and the temple plan were basically the same, except the temple was a permanent building and it had some auxiliary rooms that made it a little bigger. So they shift the image very slightly from tabernacle to temple, but it means the same thing. Paul says to the Corinthians, know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God, it used to dwell in a building in the desert, and the Shekinah glory of God hovered over the Ark of the Covenant, but now the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And so if any man defile the temple of God, he's not talking about an Old Testament building. He's talking about you and your body, your life. He said, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God, you, your body, your life, the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are? He said again to the Corinthians, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? And you got that body from God. God allowed you to live in that body on this earth, in this life. You have it of God. You are not your own. See, the sing-song of the world, the theme of the world, the clarion cry of our culture is, I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I can do my own thing. I have all my own rights. I can do whatever I want. I just do what I please. But that's not how a Christian lives. You have your body of God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, your temple, your tabernacle, and in your spirit because they're both gods. And one more, Paul says to the Corinthians, by the way, what agreement would the temple of God, your body, your life, ever have with the idols of the world? And idols are not graven images today for the most part any more than you be in the temple means you're some kind of piece of furniture from an Old Testament structure. You are a spiritual temple and an idol is a spiritual idol today. There are idols of pride. There are idols of power and money and there are idols of lust. There are all kinds of idols in this world. What agreement would the temple of God you have with idols? For you are the temple of the living God as God has said, You you, got to get this. I will dwell in them. He's going to dwell inside of us, and I will walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, I know it's Bible study, and I know we're in a little series, and I got that. But can anybody just pause to thank God that you actually have the privilege of having the Spirit of God reside in you just as real, just as literal? As it was in the Old Testament tabernacle. You have the Shekinah presence of God living in you. And it gets so awesome in this lesson tonight. Because just like the tabernacle was divided into three sections, the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies, just like the tabernacle was divided into three sections, you are a three-part being. And no, I'm not talking about your multiple personalities. You are a three part being. You see, ordinary Israelites could enter this courtyard over here. They could come into this part and they could bring their sacrifices to the brazen altar and they could come uh, and watch the priests wash in the brazen laver. They could come into the outer court of the temple, they could come into the courtyard. What they could not do was go in this building. They were not allowed. Only the priesthood could go into what we call the tabernacle. And so uh, two-thirds of this whole complex, the outer courtyard was for everybody. Only the priesthood can enter into the other two sections, the holy place and the holy of holies. So two-thirds of that building was never seen by the average ordinary Israelite. And in the very same way, two-thirds of you is invisible to the rest of us. We only see the outside of you. But you are three parts, not just one part. You are a three-part being. You are a physical being. You're also a psychological being. And then you're a spiritual being. Your physical man gives you what we would call world consciousness. You're conscious of the world around you. That's your physical man. Your psychological man, that gives you self-consciousness. You are aware of yourself, your feelings. You're aware of what you know and what you don't know. You're aware of others. It gives you self-consciousness. You're aware of your interactions. And then your spiritual man is what gives you God-consciousness. This is why it's such a privilege To be filled with the Holy Ghost because you're God conscious. You see, most of the world is not really God conscious. They, They know something about God. Some of them even think he might be out there. Some of them think he doesn't care. Some of them think he doesn't exist. But when you're filled with God's spirit and you have a spiritual man, you are God conscious. You're, you're walking outside and it's a beautiful day and somebody else looks up and sees the clouds, but you look up and think about Jesus or a loved one in heaven or you feel the presence of God or you're in awe of the Creator or you lift up your hands to worship and don't care who sees you or you talk out loud to God and don't care who hears you because you're God conscious. It's a privilege. You're, 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 you're amazing. You're constructed by God. You're a three-part Now, this this is amazing. There were five pillars that held um, this curtain right here. The curtain, when you left the courtyard and you went into the holy place, there were five pillars that held that curtain. And they separated between the outer courtyard and the holy place. And in the same way, you have five senses, not by accident. And your five senses they connect your physical man, your outer man, they connect it to your psychological man, your five senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. Your five senses are the five pillars that allow your physical man to communicate messages to your psychological man. And so those five pillars are the dividing line, not only in the tabernacle, but in you as well. And if you walk a little further, There are four pillars that hold up the veil over here uh, between the holy place and the holy of holies. Not five again, only four this time. And those four pillars, they represent something about you because in your psychological man, you have four faculties. And these connect your psychological man, your mental person. They connect that to your spiritual man or your spiritual person your intellect, your emotions, your conscience, and your will. Some people would call that your personality. We typically call it your mind. The Bible calls it your soul. And those four pillars connect between your psychological man and your spiritual man. Now, this is the most exciting part. That inside that holy of holies, there was a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. It was a supernatural manifestation. And the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire that led Israel, what some people don't stop to realize is it rested right over the tabernacle. In fact, it rested right over the Holy of Holies. In fact, it rested right over the Ark of the Covenant. It went, I don't know how high in the sky because three million Israelites could see it and follow it, but it rested right over the spot where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And in the very same way only the high priest could enter that place because it contained God's presence. And in the very same way your spiritual life for every one of you is not lived out in this sanctuary. It's not lived out where all of us see it. It's not lived out by your reputation in a church. Your spiritual life is actually lived out in a secret place that only you and God have access to. The Holy Ghost, I cannot get away from this tonight, the Holy Ghost literally rests upon your life. The greatest part of you, the most powerful part of you, the anointed part of you, the part that makes the devil tremble is the part that none of us see. The devil's not afraid of your physical strength. He's not afraid of your mental prowess. He's not afraid of your intellect or your steady emotional state. He's not afraid of any of that, but he is terrified of somebody that has the anointing, the Shekinah, the glory of God, the Holy Ghost resting on them in the secret place in the Holy of Holies. That's what he's scared of. Now, here's the point for tonight. There is no way to get... From the outer court to the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. There is no way to get from here to here without going through the holy place. You cannot go from the ark or the altar, you cannot take a shortcut and come around the back. To get from the altar to the Ark of the Covenant, you have to go through the holy place. That's the point for tonight. Because in the very same way that the tabernacle is constructed that way, you are constructed that way. There is no way to get from this physical realm where you put on your clothes and you brushed your teeth and combed your hair and drove your car and walked in the building and sat in a pew. There is no way to get from that physical realm to the supernatural realm, the spiritual realm, without going through the psychological realm, your mind. You cannot get from physical to spiritual without going through the mind, the soul. And God has a plan for every part of you. Unless you think I'm far afield, let me bring Paul in as an authority here, and he says this. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, fully, totally, completely. I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just like God had a specific purpose and plan for every piece of the tabernacle furniture, including its arrangement and its layout, just like God had a plan for the three areas of the tabernacle, the outer court and the holy place and the holy of holies, just like that, God has a plan for every Part of you as well. Now, some of you, I, I don't want to lose you here because I know pastors really wound up about this. So, and you know I'm wound up, so you're thinking like he'll calm down maybe by next week. But, but, so, so I don't lose you. Let's put this in very clear, simple Bible terms. You are, everyone say, I am. Body, soul, and spirit. Or we could say, body, mind, and spirit. In the Greek language, if you want to get technical, it's soma, psyche, and pneuma. Now here's what we need to learn. This will help you live for God. Your body lives every day over here in a physical world, but you are also simultaneously trying to have a spiritual relationship, a spirit relationship with God. But the problem is, There is no direct access from the physical world to the spirit world without going through the soul, without going through the mind. You cannot access your spirit in any direct way or any natural way. You only can access your spirit through what you do with your mind or your soul. And brothers and sisters, that presents the biggest, bar none, the biggest challenge in living the Christian life. Because these two worlds are totally separate. The body and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit. The physical and the spiritual. Jesus said this to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Can't do anything about it. You can't change it. It can't morph into something spiritual. It's flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so there's a wall between. You can't go from one to the other. And it gets worse because Paul tells the Corinthians that your natural man receives not the things of the spirit of God. I know you think you're a nice person. I know you think you're religious. I know some of you even think you're Pentecostal. Even when you don't act it, you still think you are Pentecostal. I got that. But it doesn't matter what you think about yourself. Your natural man cannot receive the things of God. It can't receive the things of the Spirit. Watch this. They are foolishness unto him. Have you ever stopped to think, of course you have, that so many of the things we do in a Pentecostal church service are absolutely foolish to the natural mind? And so if you get somebody that's natural, carnal, fleshly, grumpy, sneezy, dopey, whoever else, if you get any of those people in here, they think we're nuts. Because anything we do, if we get loud, that's foolishness. If we run, that's foolishness. If we jump and get excited, that's foolishness. If we lift our hands, if we sing, if we cry, if we do all of that stuff, that's foolishness. Why? Because they're a natural man. The natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. He can think, well, I understand it, but I just don't like it. But the Bible declares he doesn't understand it. He doesn't know them because those things are spiritually discerned. And it happens so often. You've been in services where some preacher said, let's all shout and your natural man pouts. Because you don't want to, because you're too dignified. But if you can catch that on the spiritual side, the spirit of God in you wants to shout because something happens when you put aside the flesh and you launch yourself into the spirit. And, And so that's what happens. It divides flesh and spirit. They're, they're, they're spiritually discerned, these things. The natural man, he just thinks they're crazy. See, you can only get to your spirit By going through your soul or your mind. And the problem with your soul or your mind is it's surrounded by pillars. It's surrounded by impediments. On the physical side, you've got your five senses. And your five senses can tempt your mind. They can tempt your soul. So you've got that impediment on the physical side. But then on the mental side, you've got your four faculties. Uh, you, you've got your intellect, your emotions, your will and your conscience, and they can trouble you they they could some people are just too smart for their own good and their intellect kind of educates them out of a move of God in their life some people are so emotionally Crippled, they're up and down and in and out and back and forth and and so their emotions battle what God wants to do for them. Some people they just have a stubborn will, and some people have a seared conscience, and they just say, "I don't think that's wrong, and I don't care what the Bible says, and I don't care what you say." And so you're you're literally your mind is surrounded by its own enemies. Your five senses, the five pillars on the physical side, and your four faculties, the four pillars on the mental side, and you've got people, things, your own. Self attacking you all the time. It's, it's really something else. So, in other words, your mind is the battleground. Your soul is the battleground, not your body. Uh, you know, I know there are things that can happen in your physical being that can really upset you and really hurt you and, and really affect you. I, I got that. I'm not saying that's not true. And I know there are spiritual attacks from the devil but the battleground is neither your body nor your spirit. The battleground is your mind. The battleground is what the Bible calls your soul. It's the individual part of you. It's the part that has your will and it has your conscience and your emotions and your intellect. That is where the battle is fought. And I've seen people that can walk out of a downright awesome move of God and talk themselves out of what God did for them between the door and their car door because of their mind. And, And so the mind is the battleground every day. And this is exactly why unsaved people act the way they do. Because there's no life over here in their spirit. Their spirit is empty. When Adam fell... This part of you that was supposed to be a container for God's spirit when Adam fell through sin in the Garden of Eden, that part emptied out. What had been a chamber of life now becomes a death chamber. And so every unsaved person you know, every addict you know, don't you judge them There but for the grace of God, you could be walking down that street. You could be laying in that gutter. You could be addicted. You could be bound. You don't understand where you would have gone. The only thing that's wrong with them is that part of them is empty. It's a death chamber. And so what's left in control? Their mind, their soul. That's what's left in control. And within that soul, the reason so many of them are highly resistant to the gospel of Jesus Christ is because within that soul, their intellect and their emotions and their conscience and their will, it's like they stand guard at the door to prevent the entrance of the Holy Ghost, to prevent the entrance of God. Only when they surrender will that change. But for those of us in this building, we know what it is to surrender to God and find that God filled that empty place that was in us. He filled that dead place that was in us. He filled to overflowing that place that was controlled by so many evil things. And what a privilege that is. Paul writes to the Romans, and he says in Romans chapter 8, to be carnally minded, that's death. Somebody say death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Why? Why? Because the carnal mind is enmity. It's an enemy against God because your carnal mind is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be I don't care if you've marinated in the apostolic church for 140 years your carnal mind is still an enemy of God it cannot be subject to the law of God that's why you need the Holy Ghost And you don't need the Holy Ghost on your spiritual birthday 85 years ago and never think of it again. You need the Holy Ghost every day of your life. You need to pray in the Holy Ghost. You need to worship in the Holy Ghost. You need to move in the Holy Ghost. Paul said in Him we live and we move and we have our being. That needs to be you and me every day. Paul said the carnal mind is an enemy against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then... They that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's not that they will not. That's immaterial. It's that they cannot please God. This is where religious people get all messed up because they think, well, oh, I'm doing good deeds and I'm giving stuff to my neighbors and I'm kind and I'm compassionate and I go to church services and I do this and I pray. They're, they're religious. But, but see, the Bible says that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The flesh can do all kinds of good deeds, but deeds done by the flesh, whether good or bad, do not please God. You need something more. If we took that verse right there and if we wrote it as an equation, here's what the equation would look like. Carnally minded equals death. Spiritually minded equals life and peace. So you just got to choose. Now here's the problem is over here you've got flesh and over here you've got spirit and it still comes down to your mind every single day because the tabernacle is a picture of you and you cannot get from the outer courtyard of the physical realm to the holy of holies of the spiritual realm without going through this part of you, the mental part, the psychological part. You cannot get there without going through the soul. Jesus said this in John 4, 24. God is a spirit. So they that worship Him, they can't do it over here in the flesh. They that worship Him cannot impress God with their mind. They that worship Him must worship Him over here in spirit and in truth. That's why every once in a while, You just need to push that old flesh and whatever attitude you may have brought in or whatever problem you may be thinking about or whatever tragedy or or trial you may be remembering right now, every once in a while, you just need to shove all of that stuff down and you just need to push yourself into the spirit realm because if you are filled with the Holy Ghost, you have a, 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 a get out of jail free card. And you're, the rest of you is a jail. People live and die by the passions of their flesh and in the prison of their mind and never know this, you have a get out of jail free card it's called the Holy Ghost, every once in a while you just need to stir yourself up and just talk in tongues a little bit, just because you want to, just because you can just because it pleases God just because it irritates the devil just because every once in a while you need to take your right and take your advantage and take your privilege and jump your into the spirit realm and just do something of the spirit I love this Jesus said this it is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh profiteth nothing the words that I speak unto you they are spirit and they are life So what Jesus is telling us is there is no true life. doesn't matter what you achieve, accomplish, what you own, what you buy. It doesn't matter who you know. It doesn't matter who knows you. There is no true life without the Spirit of God dwelling in your spirit. But since your spirit, please hear me, your spirit cannot be touched with the five senses, and since your spirit cannot be discovered through your four faculties, you have to use something else to get from over here to over there. And I'm glad to tell you that that something else is the word of God. You have to go through God's word, which is the owner's manual for the human life and the human heart. Now, James said it this way, and I've told you before, James doesn't play. James grew up in a house with Jesus. That was his older brother. Uh, Jesus was virgin born, but Joseph and Mary had other kids and James was one of them. And James grew up his whole life with a perfect older brother and he is just tough as nails. His mama told him every day, Jesus always makes his bed and Jesus always eats his raisin bran and Jesus always cleans up his room and Jesus always puts away his toys and James has just had enough. So James does not play. He just tells it like it is. Here's what he says. For if any be a hearer of the word... not a doer. You listen in Bible study, you listen on Sunday, but you don't do it. He is like unto a man who beholds his natural face in a glass, in a mirror. He beholdeth himself and he goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. And that's like so many people, you know, they get up in the morning, they look in the mirror and they try to get themselves ready for the day and, and then they go away and it's pretty obvious they didn't spend a lot of time in front of that piece of glass. Or if they did, they didn't put on their glasses before they, never mind. Okay, you didn't get that. Okay, it's all right. But, there, somebody say, there's another mirror. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, the Bible. See, the Bible is a mirror. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth... Therein, not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, I'd like everybody to try something right now. If you would for me, it's okay. Uh, Would you look at your face? And when you get a good view of your face, would you lift your hand? See, you can't. It is impossible for you to look directly into your own face. You're not constructed that way. It is physically impossible to do so. So what do we do? We look at our reflection in a mirror, in a reflective surface. And if you're smart, you will look into a mirror that you trust. If you've ever been to a fun house where the mirrors add 10 pounds or make you look like a wavy piece of spaghetti, you know what I'm talking about. You see, you look at a mirror that you trust to get a good view because you cannot look directly at yourself and know what you look like in the physical realm without a mirror, without a reflective surface. In the same way, you cannot Know what is in your spirit. You cannot look directly into your spirit. You may think you're such a good person. You may think you got it all in control and you're large and in charge, but you cannot know what is in your spirit. You have to look at your reflection in the mirror of God's word. Only then do you get a true picture of how you're doing with God in the most important arena of life. Please hear me. Probably one of the biggest decisions you will ever make is choosing which mirror you're going to let run your life you're either gonna look in the mirror of the world, you're gonna look in the mirror of culture, you're gonna look in the mirror of your friends and your fun and your relationships, you're gonna look in the mirror of prestige and position, you're either gonna look in that mirror and feel good about yourself and be deceived, or you're gonna look in the real mirror of the Word of God and get a true picture of who you are and how God looks at you, and that is the only mirror that can help you. That is the only mirror that can help you. Access the spiritual realm. You've got to decide what mirror you're going to look into and what mirror you're going to trust. Now, here's a scripture that uh, really frustrates some people. It's a really lovely scripture, but people really don't like it because they think it doesn't work. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, we quote it all the time, he is a what? Say it out loud. He's a? Old things are? Passed away. Behold, all things are become? New. Yeah, a wonderful scripture. That's beautiful. And a lot of people get mad because it doesn't work for them. Or they think it doesn't. If I'm a new creature, Pastor Raymond, and if all things are become new, then where are the results? You say I became a new creature when I was born again? So where are the results? You know, in my body, I had cellulite before I get saved, and I was expecting it to disappear. And it's still here. Carbs just blow me up like a balloon. And I was expecting that to disappear, and God to anoint me to be a lean, mean, carb-eating machine after I got saved. And it didn't work. I'm not a new creature. I feel like the same creature. And you know, even in my mind, it didn't seem to work either. You know, I had some fears and anxieties, and I had some pressures and trouble, and I had a mean boss that gave me grief, and I fretted about it all night, every night, some nights, and that didn't disappear when I became a Christian. So I don't feel like that verse worked. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away. I still got a lot of old things hanging around. Some of them have names. <laughs> all things didn't become new, because I was hoping for her and him. And they didn't become new. It didn't work. Pastor my physical problems and my mental issues <laughs> are basically still the same as they were before I got saved. So where in the world was that promise of the Bible fulfilled? Oh, good answer. In your spirit. That's where it was fulfilled. You became a new creature in your spirit. All things passed away in your spirit. All things became new. In your spirit, you say, that's a cop-out. No, that's powerful. Because you are right now in your spirit everything God has ever decreed over you. You are right now in your spirit everything God's word has ever promised you could be. You are right now in your spirit mighty. You are right now in your spirit powerful. You are right now in your spirit anointed. You are right now in your spirit victorious. That's not a cop out, that's awesome. Oh my goodness, you have become a new creature in your spirit right now. So here's your homework, brothers and sisters. That new life, that new creature, that anointing and power and authority has to work its way out down through your mind, out through to your everyday physical life. That is the challenge of the Christian life. And the battleground is not your spirit. Jesus lives in there. There isn't any enemy that could take him on. The battleground is not your spirit. And although you have physical challenges and problems and issues, the battleground is not your body. It's not your physical life. The battleground for every one of us is your mind. It's that middle ground. If you were talking in tabernacle terms, the battleground is the holy place, not the outer court, not the holy of holies. So you have to do this. You have to get your soul, somebody say my mind, you have to get your mind in agreement, not with your body. Oh my goodness, what a failed experiment that would be. You have to get your mind in agreement with your spirit. And you don't do it once, you do it every day. You sometimes have to do it multiple times a day. Some days you just need to never stop dragging your mind into the spirit realm and getting your mind, your soul in agreement with your spirit. See, your spirit has to flow through your soul to get to your body. It's kind of like your soul has this valve on it that will turn either way. And it allows the flow to go either way. Either your spirit, your relationship with God, is going to affect your soul and flow out to your body, your everyday life, or If you turn that valve the wrong way, you're gonna let your five senses, your body, this physical life, all your issues and challenges and problems, you're gonna let that trouble your soul, your mind, and then you're gonna let that affect your spirit. You're the one that chooses which way that valve is open and which way that flow goes. Only you determine that. Not your pastor who may preach a good sermon. Not the singers who sing a nice song. Not the saints who worship all around you. They do not determine what direction that flow goes in your life. Only you have your hand on the valve of your mind. And you can say, I'm going to let everything I'm going through depress me. I'm going to let everything I'm thinking about trouble me. I'm going to be filled with anxiety and fear. I'm going to let my body affect my mind, affect my spirit. If you want to, you knock yourself out. But as for me, I'm going to try to get in tune with the spirit. And I'm going to let my spirit talk to my mind and lift me up. and encourage me in the Lord and then I'm going to walk out into my everyday life and I'll deal with my problems then some of you need to learn to tell your problems wait a minute I'm busy and you need to go connect with the spirit before you try to deal with all your junk before you call them on the phone and get depressed because they don't have any more answers than you do before you do that you might find yourself in the holy of holies talking to God and let the spirit affect your soul Instead of your body and your five senses and this world affect your soul. Your mind is your battleground. Nobody else controls that piece of real estate like you do. You've got to get your soul in agreement with your spirit. Your mind's the battleground. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans. Very familiar scripture. I beseech you therefore, brethren, By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Yeah, your everyday, going to work, raising kids, paying bills, your everyday life. I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. How in the world would I do that? when my flesh is so uncooperative with the Spirit. Here's how. You don't handle it out there. You don't handle it in your five senses. You don't handle it with your friends from the world. You handle it this way. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your body. No, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what you've got to do. The battleground is not out here. The battleground is here. There are so many forlorn, sad, depressed people because they have literally made a choice in their mind that they're going to let their problems bother them. And they're going to let people bother them. I love all of you, but I don't have the time of day to let you bother me. I've got a God to serve, and we got a church to build, and we got a world to reach, and I don't have the time of day to let you bother me, and I hope you don't have the time of day to let me bother you, but you don't make that decision in your circumstances. You make that decision right here every day. You know, the kids are right when they sing those simple little songs, you know, take your frown Turn it upside down. Sometimes I would like to. (laughs) They're right. Because it's not out here. Oh, I got bad circumstances. You and I both know, saints of God, In a hospital bed, saints of God, sick in body, saints of God that had a joy in their soul and a praise on their lips. It's not out here, it's in here. This is the battleground that either lets you live by the Spirit or live according to the flesh. Your choice. So, okay, pastor, great. I hope you're just about done. How do I renew my mind? How do I do it? You know, Paul tells me I need to. How do I do it? Well, that's a great question. And the answer is because the tabernacle is a prophetic picture of you. You renew your mind in the holy place. You remember the other week we talked about the three articles of furniture that have to do with salvation, the brazen altar, the brazen labor, and the Ark of the Covenant. But in the holy place, which is a picture of your mind, your soul, the soulish realm, There are three other articles of furniture. These three pieces of furniture in the holy place are a picture of our sanctification. Now, salvation is your spiritual birth process. We call it the new birth. But sanctification is your spiritual growth process. So, there are three articles of furniture in the holy place which is a prophetic picture of you Specifically, your soul or your mind. Very quickly, the first one is the golden candlestick. Jesus was the light of the world, and we are called to be his light in this world, according to Acts 1 and 8. You shall receive power, and you shall be witnesses. But we cannot do that in our own ability. Do you know what fuel was used to light the flame of the golden candlestick? It was pure olive oil which is a symbol in the scripture of the Holy Ghost and the anointing of God. When you uh, want to to be successful in living for God, can I just tell you, you've got to get yourself in the presence of God some way, somehow, somewhere by hook or by crook. If you can't do an hour, don't do an hour. If you can't do a half hour, don't do a half hour. But don't let a day go by without getting your little self somewhere in the presence of God because you need that oil to flow in your life. At the end of the first century when they were dealing with an onslaught of false doctrine and there's all kinds of errors and false teachers and people trying to creep in the church with all that trash, John said, wait a minute, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. You don't need to be deceived by the false teachers. You don't need to be pulled away by all the worldly junk. You have an unction in you. You have an anointing in you. You have the oil of the Holy Ghost in you. You know better than that. That's what he's saying. He said this, he said, if we walk in the light, somebody say the light, if we walk in that light, the light of the candlestick, if we get ourselves in the presence of God every day, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanseth us from all sin. People do not backslide from the presence of God. They backslide when they slip away from the presence of God. And yes, you can slip away from the presence of God sitting on a pew in a Pentecostal church, but nobody backslides out of the moving manifest presence of God. If you are basking in His presence, you are not backsliding in that moment. You are being filled with the oil of the Spirit. There's a privilege in being in God's presence. And we need the anointing and the illumination of the Holy Ghost. Not once a week. We need it every day. And you only get that by spending time Basking in his light through worship. Oh, you need to do this on your own, but surely we could do it all together. I wish you'd lift up your hands and give God worship. You need to do this when you're not here. You need to do this when we're not around. You need to do this when pastor didn't ask you. You need to do this when there are no singers and no musicians. You need to get yourself in the manifest presence of God every day. But I don't feel anything. That's your flesh talking. That's your mind talking. Forget that. Get yourself in the presence of God and renew yourself in the spirit every day. How do I renew my mind, pastor? How do I live for God? You get yourself in that holy place and you get into the light of God's presence through worship every day. There's another piece of furniture in there. It's called the altar of incense. And Jesus was our great high priest and he was our great intercessor. And we are called to do likewise. We are not just to speak to people on behalf of God, that's witnessing. We are to speak to to God on behalf of people. That's prayer. And the spices that made up this incense, they were to be crushed, broken, bruised, and then burned. That was not exactly a pleasant process for the spices. But the beautiful fragrance that ascended before the veil was the end result of the agony of being bruised and broken and crushed and burned. And that is what prayer does. If you think prayer's easy, number one, I want to talk to you. Number two, and I know we all have seasons in prayer. And, and, and we all Instagram it. You know, we, we get our Bible. Oh, I love those. We get our Bible just perfect. Trees in the distance. Coffee cup. Take a picture. Spending time with the Lord. Hashtag blessed. Yeah, give me a living break. I know we all feel that once in a while, but if you just you slide into that so easy every day, I really do want to talk to you. And secondly, you're lying. So, altar of incense. It wasn't always pleasant. Prayer's not always easy. Prayer sometimes can be difficult. Prayer sometimes can be a challenge to keep your concentration while you're trying to talk to Jesus. Because I noticed he's invisible. Sometimes for us little finite human beings... It's hard to focus on an invisible God sometimes. Oh, I know there's times when we get lost in His presence and it's beautiful, but it doesn't happen every day. Sometimes prayer is bruising and breaking and laying before an altar. But it's worth it because it sends up the incense before the throne of God and your requests rise to His throne like incense. Psalmist said, let my prayer be set be set forth before thee as incense, and let the lifting up of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. I know sometimes you come to church and you've had a rough day, bad week, and it's a sacrifice to lift up your hands, but it's always worth it. Let the lifting of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. Revelation, three times in Revelation, the prayers of the saints, all of you people, all of you wonderful people, The prayers of the saints are referred to as incense before the throne of God. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. Whose throne? God's throne. What are you saying, John? I'm saying there's never a prayer you've ever prayed that has been wasted. There's never a prayer you've ever prayed that kind of filtered out of existence. Every prayer you've ever prayed has been gathered up in vials before the throne of God and the incense of your prayers is still swirling around. I gotta tell you something. There are some precious elders that we've sent on to glory from this sanctuary. We had their funeral and we cried our tears and they've been gone for a while, some of them. Their prayers are still swirling around this hilltop and this sanctuary and a service like this because they prayed for some of you. Guess what? You're here serving God because of their prayers. They prayed some prayers for some people that aren't here yet, but guess what? Before the rapture, they're gonna be here because there's prayers swirling around the throne of God. No prayer you've ever prayed has ever died. No prayer you've ever prayed has ever been wasted. It is before the throne of God right now so every day you've got to get yourself into that holy of holies into that soulish realm and you've got to discipline yourself even if i don't feel it i'm going to talk to god because that's the only tool i've got to get me over here toward the spirit realm so every day i got to talk to god and there was one last item oh my goodness i feel that spirit that confirmation of prayer Prayer can go anywhere God can go. Prayer can do anything God can do and your prayers outlive you. You will die if Jesus tarries but your prayers are still gonna be swirling around the throne so the command of the church is still a good one. Pray without ceasing. I gotta move on, we'll get out of here. The third article in that holy place was the table of showbread. Jesus was the bread of life. And yes, we need his word to survive. There was always to be bread on that little table in that little room. Prayer is you talking to God. But the Bible is God talking to you. Don't content yourself with these little fleeting impressions. I'm not making fun. These little fleeting impressions that you get in your mind while you're in church, and that's God talking to you. I'm not debating that's the case, but you've got a much more authoritative word from God than what you feel in your mind, and it's this. You need to get yourself familiar with this. You need to get yourself into this. You need to have a relationship with this, because in opposition to everything you might feel or think or discern, This word is forever settled and established in heaven. You can take that to God's bank every time. It's right for you to ask God for your daily bread. That's right, your needs, your daily bread. But be sure you're also partaking of his daily bread. Your greatest need is not what you think it is. Well, I need this, I need a new job, I need this. Your greatest need is not what you think it is. Your greatest need is a word from God. Because a word from God will keep you when the storms are raging. A word from God will keep you when the devil is attacking. A word from God will keep you when problems are mounting up. A word from God. That's why I'm in Bible study tonight. I'd be here if I wasn't teaching because I need a word from God. That's why I need to get my face in that book because I need a word from God. Jesus said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And last scripture, which tells us how important it is and how critical it is for you to get yourself in that holy place, the place between, between the outer court, your physical man, and the holy of holies, your spiritual man. You need to get yourself in that holy place The soulless realm, the realm of your mind every day. You need to drag your mind before God. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Oh my. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even, oh my goodness, to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God is so powerful. This is why you need Bible study. This is why you need your personal Bible study. This is why you need a relationship with the Word of God. Because about the time this world gets a hold of you and makes you think crazy thoughts and carnal thoughts and defeated thoughts and depressed thoughts. See, the word of God is so sharp. When you get yourself into it and when it gets into you, it can divide asunder between soul, your mind, and spirit. The the, the individual part of you, the intellectual part of you, the emotional part of you, it can divide between all that junk and the eternal part of you that is filled with the spirit of God. That's why you need a relationship with the word. It'll make you think eternal thoughts it'll make you have god's perspective it'll make you think outside of the box of your depression and into the depths of the holy ghost that's why you need the word it's so sharp it can divide you from everything that's binding you it can divide you from everything that's troubling you how do i renew my mind pastor raymond how do i have that relationship with god you're talking about you do it in that middle ground you do it in the holy place You do it with the candlestick and the incense and the showbread. You do it with worship and prayer and the Word every day. Not Sunday, not Wednesday, not Friday. Every day. You owe it to yourself. You're a Pentecostal for heaven's sake. You're filled with the Holy Ghost of God. You owe it to yourself. To live in the spirit. Because when you walk in the spirit. You will not fulfill the lusts. Of the flesh. And you can sail over the top. Of every opposition. And every problem. And every depression. Not because you're so smart. No that's not the point. Because you're in the spirit. Because you have that relationship in the spirit. But hear me. The battle is not won. In your spirit. And it is not won. In your body. It is not one in the spiritual realm. Jesus lives there. Nothing can tackle him. It is not one in the physical realm. Where all your problems and enemies and setbacks and trials are. It is one in the mind. The tabernacle is a picture of you. And you cannot get there from here without going through this. Your mind is the battleground. That's why the Bible says to pull down strongholds and cast down imaginations and take authority. And that's why the Bible tells you to do that. If there's something negative, something defeatist that's attacking you right now, this moment, this day in your life, the solution is not to come to church and get the perfect sermon. The solution is not to be in the most spiritual prayer meeting of the year. The solution is every day. Take yourself before worship and prayer and the word and say, God, I've got to have your word divide me from this carnal thinking. I've got to have your word lift me. I need to get in your presence so that your Holy Ghost anoints me and the unction of God falls on me. And I need to pray and lift up my little life to you because that makes everything better. I'm finished teaching. I would like you to lift up everything you got at the end of this Bible study and prepare to leave here and go out into the world and be a victor this week. Leave here and go out into your little life and be an overcomer this week. Leave here and go out into your day to day routine and take authority over the enemy and be a light for God and do something for the kingdom because you got it in you. You are filled with the Holy Ghost. You got it in you. You're anointed of God. You got it in you. You are called and chosen, and faithful. Don't let the devil tell you who you are or what you can't do. Let the Holy Ghost tell you who you are and what you can do. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Oh my, I need you to lift up your voice in worship. I'm done teaching. We're not quite done service. If you're watching us online, wherever you are right now, I invite you to join us. If you feel the presence of God rushing over you, you need to step into that realm where your soul connects
1: with the eternal part of you, where your soul walks into the spirit realm. Oh my, I feel like almost a military
0: spirit. Everybody on your feet, would you please? And everybody put your hands in the air, would you please? And everybody lift your voice in the air, would you please? I feel a militant spirit against the enemy. The enemy has dared to
1: attack the church with militant opposition. I dare to push him back with militant opposition. The battleground is your mind. If you think you can't, you can't. But if you think you can, you can Because the battle is in your mind. the battle is in your mind. Yes, Jesus. Oh, somebody pray in the spirit. That's foolishness. No, it's not. It just hooks you to the spirit realm. Somebody pray in the spirit right now. It's foolish to the natural man, but it makes total sense to the spirit. Mendo to la carabahosa, so de la Be encouraged, child of God. Be encouraged, son of God. Be encouraged, daughter of God. God is on your side. Eto la baha rebakesa. O terreba shosabahate kela. Mendo la baladaro korebahes ya so baha. Mando le baladolo korebahas. Ah, Shonderre babelebolo kolaba Shonderre bobosse sabaccare baba Mandelle de bossi assa della bocchia Shodelle de bolta la boccosse sabaha Shodelle bahre della sia sabaha Ciuto ria sho sabaha qui baba Mandelle bossi assa babaccoia Oh. oh my Jesus. Oh my Jesus.
0: Oh my Jesus. Oh my Jesus. I am not who the world says I am. I am not who the devil says I am. And I'm not even who I say I am or who you say I am. I am who He says I am. I am a child of God. And his spirit dwells in me. Nothing better than that. Give Jesus a hand clap, a standing ovation of great
1: praise. With the fruit of your lips, lifting up praise unto his name. I worship you, Jesus. Oh, a lot yes I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.